Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Welcome back to the Shed Wireless Podcast, made in Australia and distributed all over the world for the love of shedding. The silly season is upon us and so brings the end of another year and this the final episode of the Shed Wireless Season 5. I've had a cracking time this year. I managed to squeeze in two road trips. You might recall we had some great adventures in the top end. Check out the episode if you haven't already. And then we hit the road for Gulwa in South Australia to celebrate 30 years of shedding. I continue to be amazed at the wonderful mix of enthusiastic but casual attitude of shedders in all of the sheds that we had contact with. Gee, that was a great chance to meet so many shedders. We had quite a few events and we visited 12 or so sheds along the road from Newcastle to Canberra to Tongala and then on to Gulwa with many stops in between. Some were unscheduled and I'll never forget the joy of driving with someone that has an aversion to indicating and another that couldn't turn them off. But what is it they say? What happens on tour, etc., etc. Of course, you can listen back to all those adventures and more wherever you get your podcasts. A great listen over summer. Put in an order for some of those fancy Bluetooth headphones. Rustle up one of the kids, or more likely grandkids, to show you how to find and follow the podcast on Spotify and escape the hullabaloo of Christmas afternoon in air-conditioned bliss. Sounds good. My favourite thing about the Shed Wireless podcast is all the great and varied conversations I get to have. And I'll be back for another ride around the block in 2024. The team are planning some great things. Make sure you get in touch. If there's anything or anyone you'd like to hear from, email me at theshedwireless at menshed.net. For today's episode, I thought I'd look back at some of the best bits of the Shed Wireless. This is what I've got for you. Earlier this year, I spoke with Mary O'Brien, the founder of Are You Bogged, Mate? A male suicide continues to plague our country. I'm often thinking about Mary's message. We're always prepared to help our mates if they're bogged, and it's important to remind ourselves of that. When times get tough, there is help. Look into it. I have to admit, I've snuck in my On The Tools highlight from last year, but I can tell you, I took some hits away from this chat, and I reckon you might too even if they're to give to someone else. (laughs) On the tools, we're back in the Christmas kitchen. Marty caught up with their resident celebrity chef, Adrian Richo Richardson, for a few Christmas cooking tips. Down in Mac's funky little music shack, we got talking about Christmas songs. I promise it's a good one. No halls will be decked. Mac and I have had a great time walking down musical memory lanes this year. I think I might just have to give him another call up in 2024. And finally, we couldn't see the year out without our mate Rip. He'll sign us off for the year with a few of life's lessons. Let's get into it. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with my good friend, John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders. Across Australia and around the world, get ready to shed. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. Mary, it's truly a pleasure to welcome you to The Shed Wireless. For those who might not have read your article, how did this all get started? Well, thank you so much, firstly, for having me on The Shed podcast. 
I'm a big fan of the Australian Men's Shed, but the Are You Bogged Mate thing started, sadly, following two suicides in my area, which sort of rattled the community and made me very aware that I didn't know much about mental health and particularly men's mental health. So set me on a bit of a journey of discovery to do some reading and upskill myself and I didn't really like what I found. So I sat down and wrote an opinion piece, just an article and um, put it out there. And in that article, I've used that analogy of mental health and depression is a bit like getting bogged. And I think people in rural Australia certainly know what that's like. And um, I guess the, the probably the, the most important part of that analogy is that it doesn't matter how big or how badly bogged that machine is, we don't get out and set fire to it. We always take the trouble to get it out. So that was, the, I guess, the start of it. And um, I put the article out and turns out a few more people agreed with me. Oh, I mean, it, it, they are both wonderful analogies, especially the burning of the tractor. I, I, I just I just thought that was priceless. You know, um, What do you spend most of your time doing? Um, driving. Probably, but driving around Australia, Australia, um, talking to to men mainly, um, certainly lots of mixed groups, and I do talks for ladies as well, but talking to men about, I guess, going through tough times and mental health, depression, whatever they're going through, I guess in a different way and trying to break down that stigma and and putting, I guess, a a more blokey spin on it than, than the mainstream services. Yeah, and I, I particularly enjoyed the example of uh, how do I get my husband there? Um, well, just go there. You might learn something to help one of your mates. Um, I think that's brilliant. Well, that's the the thing, and I, you know, I do strike a lot of people who, particularly women, who say, "Oh, you know, I think my husband needs to go to this, or my brother or son, or something like that." And of course, then they go and say, "You need to go and listen to this, and <laughs> it will help you." And um, blokes are a little bit a bit tougher than that, and they don't think they need it. So that, I think that's you know the the quintessential Aussie thing to do is help our mates, and so. I just encourage them to come along, but, you know, they probably don't need it. They may not need it. They might get something out of it, but most importantly, they might actually learn something that will, in I guess, give them some skills or tools to possibly help a mate, and everyone wants to do that. Well, now that the big drought has finished, um, we've still got tough times out there. Um, what are you hearing on the road? Oh, I guess there's, yeah, there's certainly some tough times out there, and while the drought has finished in many places, they've sort of gone the other way and been, badly flooded so there's all of the issues that come with that there's certainly plenty of places in australia that are still drought declared and 30 uh, percent of queensland is still drought declared so it is um i guess it's not over every every area has got different challenges and um i think there's always going to be ups and downs and particularly living in the the great uh, harsh country that we live in it has extremes and we we see that all the time from from one end to the other so you know one might be getting floods and the other might be getting cyclones another area might be getting droughts so i think there's there's always challenges out there even when mother nature isn't throwing them at us and uh you you wrote a poem that's been uh turned into a, a song uh sung by the the wonderful ann Kirkpatrick um called waiting for the boss yes i, I wrote that song um i guess watching watching my father's dog when my father passed suddenly of a heart attack many years ago and watching his dog sort of watching all the comings and goings and not quite understanding and 
she just sat at the back gate waiting for dad um, for weeks, months, and not still not knowing why he wasn't coming out when his boots were at the door. And so a very, I guess, sad song. I don't really write happy ones, unfortunately, but <laughs> uh, quite a sad song. And, yes, Angus Gill actually picked it up and turned it into a song with, with Alan Mackey. They moved a couple of words around and put some music to it and then got Anne Kirkpatrick to do the harmonies on it. So we oh. ended up as finalists in the Tamworth Gold Guitar Awards in January, which was pretty exciting and pretty surreal for someone like me who can't even clap in time with the music. And um, yeah, so we didn't didn't walk away with a gold guitar, but what a what an amazing experience! Well, I think that's where a lot of really good songs come from. They 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 don't necessarily come from a songwriter per se. They they come from the heart, and uh, and I think that that proves you know that um, you don't have to be a professional to write a, a decent song. There's plenty of people out there that will help you get get things over the border. Now. Losing one person to suicide is is one too many. It, the stats tell us that in Australia we lose eight people every day and six of them are men. And people in rural populations are twice as likely to take their life by suicide. What do we need to do differently? I think we actually need to appreciate that men and women are different and they operate differently, they learn differently, they grieve differently, they heal differently and I think that's what um, is is missing from the the whole discussion here and the whole approach that the one size fits all doesn't work. We need things that specifically work for children. We need things that work for teenagers. Um, you know, we need things that work for Indigenous people and, and and all sort of groups. But what's clearly missing is something that works for men, and particularly when men are the the majority of, of suicides, unfortunately. So I guess it's understanding what's driving that, that it's not always mental illness, that it's often situational stress and just the things that are going on in their life. It's it's not always a diagnosable mental illness. And I think that's a really important thing for men to understand. It's it's not um it's not always mental illness. So having it's having some different approaches that work for everybody, but there doesn't seem to be a, a huge rush to develop something for men. So uh, hmm. I'd like to make a bit of noise about that. Yeah, well, I, I know this all started um, from you and your rural experience, um, but after reading the article, I, I couldn't help thinking that this really applies to just about every man. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in the country or in the city. Yes, absolutely. I certainly get that feedback from, from men everywhere that men in the city say, well, I know you're talking about rural blokes, but your talk has, has really helped us. Like, you seem to understand men, and I think men everywhere are, have got that commonality that they they operate the same, that they prefer to to communicate shoulder to shoulder. And you know, I think that's why things like the Men Shed are such great organisations because it gets men together and they communicate shoulder to shoulder. And there's um, I've been doing a, a fair bit of research lately into the the evolutionary factors making men and women different and and men are much more likely to come together in a cohesive group and um i guess through throughout history that's why we've seen men's sporting teams sort of rise to the top and and things like that because traditionally men are, are quite good at gathering together and banding together so, you know whether it was to form armies to fight enemies or the sporting teams and things like that so men are particularly good at that and and that's why they, you know, they love to come together in, in groups now. And 
I think that's really important for our society to remember that men need special things. Men need groups for just men, that women don't need to be included, that women need to have things that are specially for women, but men really need things that are just for them as well. And sadly, society you know, just tends to, to frown on that these days and say, well, women should be included. Well, I disagree. I think certainly there's things that everyone needs to be included, but everyone needs their own special little groups as well. Yeah, exactly. I um I spoke to one of the founders of the men's shed and uh and it was such an eye opener when it she realized that men's shed was a good idea when all the men would drive into the car park, drop the women off at the club to go and have their tea and sandwiches, and they'd all sit in their own cars and not talk to each other yes. for the duration. Yes. Yes, it's it's that's, you know, just such a, a great story of how that started and, you know, just getting those men together. It gives them something to do and a purpose and particularly for retired men who are used to being busy and doing things and, um, you know, the upside, it gets them out of the house the way one of their wives speak to occasionally. So <laughs> it's, um, you know, getting together for men is, is such an important thing. It's, you know, it, it really dates back to, to tribal stuff and I think it's, you know, there's so much of that ingrained in our makeup and our genetics that we we need to I guess work with it and that's you know the approach that I'm trying to take is let's work with men let's not try and change them there's actually nothing wrong with them they're just men and they operate the way men operate and that's a great thing so let's not try and change them and make them operate differently Um, much easier to change the way we approach them I think (laughs) very wisely said What's next for Are You Bogged, Mate? Oh, goodness. We're hopefully this year in a big year of, of development and change that uh, we will get a few other things happening that Are You Bogged, Mate? does that doesn't just involve Mary driving around the country and, <laughs> and speaking. So some other things, look, we've looked at all sorts of things from resources to go into schools to um, yeah groups or getaways and all sorts of things. So um, stay tuned. There'll be some big changes this year and hopefully – Hopefully we'll have um, some good outcomes from that. I guess, you know, initially we'll sort of run pilot programs to see what what works and get some feedback from the blokes themselves because that's the, the best thing to do, I think, is we'll do what we think, what we think is going to work and then we'll get their feedback and they can tell us if it actually does. So, I mean, I've, I've been in the music business for 50 years, but I can honestly say that this is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Um, yeah, wow. There's a lot of men's sheds, and are you bog, mate? They have a lot in common. Uh, we know it's important for blokes to get together, shoulder to shoulder, as you say, to connect sometimes in silence. Uh, I think you pointed that out too, just sitting by the creek, say nothing, go fishing, um, to have a community of support and to have a, a few good mates that make it all worthwhile. And Mary, I'd like to thank you very much for everything you do and what you continue to do. And thanks for dropping by the Shed Wireless. And I've got to say, that is one of the most Irish names I have ever heard because I have some Irish blood in me as well. And uh, as the old Irish saying goes, you're as Irish as the pigs of Doherty. Thank you very much for having me on. I, I do love speaking at, at men's sheds around the country and seeing the diversity in those sheds, whether they're sheds of young fellas, old fellas, doesn't matter. Um, but I, I really encourage them to, to yeah, keep that up. It's good stuff, fellas, and and stick to your to your men's sheds. They're, they're a good place for you to be. And, um, 
you know, whether it helps you or, or helps out your mates, that's that's what it's about. So thank you very much. And I hope we meet face-to-face one day, Mary. Bye-bye. It'd be great. Thanks, thanks, John. Bye. What an amazing lady. So incisive. So if you're feeling bogged and need some help, please reach out for help immediately. Lifeline is a 24-hour crisis support and suicide prevention service. Call on 131114 or visit lifeline.org.au. Look after your mates this Christmas. It can be an especially lonely time for some. If you know someone spending this time alone, give them a call or pop in with some of your Christmas leftovers. On the tools, on the shed wireless, with John Paul Young. We're going hammer and tongs in the kitchen for On the Tools today. AMSA's Marty Least was lucky enough to have five minutes with a chef you may just know from the box, Adrian Richo Richardson. Take it away, Marty. Okay, thanks, JPY. Today, we are working around two of the most important tools in the shed, the barbecue and the tongs. And I am here with a very special guest who's going to give us a few tips for the Christmas dinner, the Christmas roast. Um, he is the owner and head chef of La Luna, North Carlton. He's the host of Good Chef, Bad Chef on Channel 10. He's written a few books, including Secret Meat Business. He is the master of meat, the guru of the grill, Adrian Richardson. Richo, thanks for being here, mate. This is a treat for the boys. An absolute pleasure. And, and with a wind-up like that, that's a fantastic... Uh, I didn't even know I've even done all those things. But it's a pleasure being here at the Men's Shed. It's um, I've wanted to come to one of these Men's Sheds and finally I'm here and I can find out all about what you guys do. And in uh, you know, I'll, I'll meet you halfway by sharing some of my things as well, my tips. There you go, mate. You might learn something here, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. Be, be careful. Be careful. Well, mate, this is our Christmas special, so... I want to, you are the master of meat, so I want to ask you a few things for my Christmas roast. I like to, you know, feed the family on, on Christmas Day. What is your favourite meat to cook on Christmas Day? Um, I, the answer to that one's pretty easy. All of the meats. Anything with a pulse, I'm happy to roast up or cook or braise, throw over the barbecue. Usually I make sure they're bloody dead first, but um, anything with a pulse. But you can't go past, you know, your favourites, ham, your pork. Some people like to do turkeys or the turduckens. Some people like to do the ducks, um, prawns, lobsters, fish, you name it. Anything goes in Australia. As long as it's cooked properly, as long as there's something refreshing to go with it and something uh, refreshing to keep the cook happy, um, you're good to go. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, one of my, I, go, I try to stay with the staples. I do the pork, the lamb, and the chicken, the turkey. I've, I've given the, the ham a go and things like that. But, mate, one thing I struggle with, and it's a touch and go, it's a, it's a hit and miss thing with me, is the pork crackling. Mate, if you could give us the secret to a perfect pork crackling every time, mate, I'd, I'd die for it. Well, you better book your uh, hearse and you better book the funeral because I'm about to share that with you. Look, pork crackling is a really important thing. And one of the best ways to do it, I mean, is go to your butcher. Go to your butcher um, a week or two beforehand and order the piece that you want, you know, and say, I'm going to pick it up next week on a Wednesday and I want it ready for you. Um, And one of the things when you get pork... um, you know, whether it's a loin or leg or shoulder, why don't you get it? It's usually wrapped in plastic and that's what you've got to take off quickly. Take that plastic off it and leave the pork in the fridge uncovered for at least two or three days. And what you'll find is that soft, wet skin will dry out. You'll go from that that sort of like a, the colour of a manila folder to a darker 
tan sort of color. And that's telling you that it's drying out. And you'd be able to feel it as well. So that's really, really important. Now, hopefully your butcher's scored the skin you know, by running a sharp knife over the top of it. And it doesn't matter if he cuts deep grooves in it or, or, or just scrapes it. A razor blade is also good to do that. Uh, some people use a Stanley knife, and I'm sure there's a few Stanley knives out here sure, in the, the men's shed. Sure, yeah. So making sure it's nicely scored is the first thing, and uh, making sure the skin is dry. Those two things are really, really important. And then when you're ready to cook it, I turn the oven up to about 220 degrees Celsius. That's quite hot. Um, you want to make sure that oven is really hot. When you turn the oven on, you're going to give it about half an hour to heat up, as long as you can. Take the pork out and put it on the bench there. Let it come up to room temperature, all right? So we've got the pork coming up to room temperature. We've got the oven nice and hot. And you take the pork, pop it on a wire rack with a tray underneath it, and then rub it with olive oil. You want to rub it with plenty of olive oil over there or peanut oil or vegetable, whatever you've got. Rub it with olive oil and then grab a handful of salt because salt loves meat and meat loves salt. And it's the salt that you put all over it and put more salt than you think. You want to make sure it's got like a, it's when you rub your hand over, it should feel like sandpaper. You know, it's got that much salt on it. So that salt and the, the oil helps to get the uh, the skin nice and hot and draw the, the, the moisture out of it. And the salt helps to do the same thing, draws the moisture out of it so that it crackles up. So the trick is to pop it into the oven at 220 degrees Celsius for about 20 to 25 minutes. And what you'll find then is that skin will blister up. That's where you get that crackling, that first initial 25 minutes of, uh, of cooking and you'll see it blister up. But once it's blistered up like that, you know, you turn the temperature down to 160 degrees Celsius and make sure you don't forget that. You know, turn the thing down because if you keep it up flat out, you're gonna burn the outside of it. And we turn it down to cook it all the way through. We wanna make sure the inside of that pork is now cooked, that we've got the crackling. And we turn it down to 160, 165, and let it cook nice and low and slow. And people say, how long should you do it? Well, how big's a piece of meat? How long's a piece of string? Um, how, how heavy is that piece of wood? The, the, the trick that I use is I use a digital thermometer. They're about 25 bucks um, from a food, uh, from any food store, or you can go to adrianrichardson.com. I'll charge you 150 bucks, but it's got my signature on the side of it. But <clears throat> A well, yeah, yeah. Well, a digital thermometer gives you x-ray vision. And I know that when the center of that pork gets to 72 degrees Celsius, that's a magic number, 72. Yeah. I know the inside's cooked all the way through. It's not overcooked. It's still moist and juicy. And because I've had the oven nice and hot, I've got that crackling on the outside. And then the other part, once it's all finished, it's cooked, take it out of the oven and let it rest for half the cooking time. And that allows all the juices to stay in the meat. The best way I can describe that, when you cook it, uh, the muscle fibers tense up. So when you cut into it straight away, it squeezes out all the juices. So by resting it for half the cooking time, it's like when you shake up a can of Coke, you let it sit there for a while, then you can open it um, and it doesn't go everywhere. So rest it for half the cooking time and then cut into it and it will be the best bloody pork right. you've ever eaten. Mate, excuse me if I'm salivating here, but jeez. I'm not taking notes. Thank God we're recording this because I couldn't take all those notes, but that is thorough, and I'm going to give that a go because, like I said, it's hit and miss with me. I can't... And it makes or breaks the pork, absolutely. If, if you don't have a good crackling, you're, you're, yeah, you're nothing. Mate, the other thing, number two. Now, Paul Kelly's given me a great recipe, but... Who makes the best? Who makes the gravy at your place, and how do you make it? <laughs> well, you know, gravy or, or red wine jus, we call it, um, and we call it jus because it sounds more expensive. I can charge you more money for it. Um, 
but gravy is is two different ones. There's 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 a the red wine jus that I make, whereas I, I get the the bones and I roast the bones and then I simmer them away for eight hours. Then I strain off that liquid. Then I you know sweat off some more vegetables, some carrot, celery, onion, and garlic. Sweat that off. Then I add some port. Then I add some red wine. Reduce that down. Then I pour the stock over it and reduce that down till we get a nice thick glaze that doesn't have any flour in it and it looks it's you know that beautiful syrupy sort of look on the plate it's delicious that's the way I do it in the restaurant but I also have a gaggle of chefs around me that that can you know assist with that and we make large volumes of it um, if you're making it at home just say you've roasted a joint of beef on a tray all the all the fat and all the juices are in the bottom of it if you're doing it at home I would tip off some of that fat um, and then you can either put that oven tray onto your gas jet, if you can do that, or uh, induction jet or whatever, you, whatever you've got, or you can scrape it all off. You know, put some water in there, scrape it all off and put it into, into a pot. And then it's a matter of just adding a little bit of flour to it and stirring that around to the flowers all mixed together. You might use a whisk because it might be a little bit lumpy. Whisking it around, you can pop a little bit of port or red wine in there, yeah, uh, add a bit, yeah, add a little bit of flavor to it. And you might have some stock or you might have some stock powder or a little bit of water to it. And it's just a matter of adding the amount of liquid to you get the right sort of consistency, that thick pouring gravy. And then when you've got it to that sort of consistency, there's no lumps in it. You might need to strain it if you've got lumps, but if you watch me do it, there won't be any lumps in it. But um, you might need to strain the lumps out of it, put it into a little pot. And if it's nice and hot, what I do is take it off the heat and I put a large knob of butter into it and then whisk it around. And that butter gives you flavor and it makes it so much better and rounds it off. And if you're worried about your cholesterol or anything, don't worry about that. You know, it's just, it's going to be the delicious. It might be your last Christmas, but it's going to be delicious. So, mate, no grey vox, no tomato sauce. What's, what's the game there? <laughs> Well, no, you can use that stuff. I, I don't. I prefer to use the natural flavours from it. But look, if you if you like using a little bit of um, you know Gravox, Vegemite is another one. Yeah. And I tell you, another another tip is miso, uh, which is a soybean paste. You usually find um, it's like a soybean paste. It spreads like uh, like margarine, but it's um, it's a paste. You, it's it's a Japanese paste, and there's medium dark and 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 you know medium light miso, medium miso, and dark miso. I use that as a stock base. You know, a good t tablespoon of that in there gives you a real sort of meaty flavor. Whisk it in, it dissolves, and um, you get an amazing flavor. And no one will know, know what it is because everyone knows what grey box tastes like. Yeah. Everyone knows what, what the stock powder tastes like. But miso has that flavor um, without uh, giving away that you've used another product. You know, Vegemite's another one, but be careful for that one. It's quite salty. Yeah. Wow, I never would have thought. Never would have thought. It's just been such a... A simple thing. I, I do use the gravy, the, the juices from the meat and things like that, which is great. But yeah, mate, some great tips there. Thank you very much. Be giving that a go. Yes. All right. As I like to say at my household, no meal is complete without something sweet. What is your staple dessert? What is what you know? What's your favourite? And I have to warn you, you'd be doing it pretty hard to try and beat my wife's trifle. It is a number one, complete with M and M's, flake, yada yada, custard. Mm. But give it a go. What's your staple for a dessert? Look, look for me, I've, I've always been an ice cream lover. And, you know, when I was 14 years old, I lied about my age to get a job in an ice cream uh, making uh, place. Um, I, I just love ice cream. So I'm, I've got an ice cream machine at home. So I'll often make um, different ice creams and freeze them away. Um, but that's not to everyone's liking. I mean, not everyone has an ice cream machine. 
Tiramisu is a great one. That's like an Italian style trifle. Um, instead of using the Saviati biscuits, which are the cat's tongues biscuits, I use sponge um, and then mascarpone cheese, some make the savion and, and lots of uh, masala, some rum. I use some uh, brandy in there as well. Soak it in there. The idea of the, the tiramisu, it's, um, it's designed to pick you up. So there's enough booze and coffee in there to pick you up again after you've had a big meal. I'm also a, a real lover of creme brulee. I've been making creme brulee to the same recipe at La Luna Bistro for 23 years. It's a vanilla cream brulee. We brulee the top of it. I tried taking it off the, mesh, the menu a couple of times. I had riot squads. I had helicopters coming over. There was just, it was just, I had to put it back on the menu. Um, it's just one of those classics that works every time. You know, nothing beats a, a flourless chocolate cake, which we make occasionally. And uh, my wife will make a, um, a tart. She'll make a chocolate tart with uh, red wine poached pears in it as well. So, nice. so we do like to put on quite a display at yeah, Christmas okay. time with lots of different things. We'll pick probably two or three of those things, but you know, you've also got to have a cheese plate as well. I've got lots of different cheeses from Australia and overseas that I'll put out with some lavash. Way too much food for everyone, but you know, I'm a chef. If you're coming to my house well, for I'm Christmas, actually, I came up with a solution. I'm not cooking this year. I was bring my family to your place. Too easy. Too easy. How's that? That's probably the easiest way to do it. You know, everyone comes to my place because I overcook. I, I, I have. Way too much food. Um, do, yeah. yeah, that's 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 what Christmas is all about, being generous and having lots of food. But it's all about getting together. And, you know, if there is a disaster, don't worry. Um, no one will notice. You know, push it aside or, you know, put some parsley over the top of it or sprinkle some icing sugar over it. Yeah. No one will know about it. Absolutely. Well, mate, thank you so much. This is going to be good. This, these, there's some great tips. I can't wait to give it a go. I'm going to try that gravy. I'm going to think I'm going to try to hit the missus up to make a tiramisu. I would love that. That would be sensational. Mate, well, thank you. So hopefully everyone out there has listened to that and taken some notes and um, they can cook themselves up a beautiful, or their family up a beautiful meal for this Christmas. And uh, if you want to catch Adrian, you can catch him on Channel 10. You can see him on the Brighter with, Brighter with Gas on Facebook page to see his uh, chef's secret uh, little segments there that we actually did one down here at the men's shed today. So fantastic. And um, or grab one of his books, Master of Meat, Guru. He's the guru of the grill. He's the master of meat. Adrian Richardson, thanks, mate. And Merry Christmas. Good on you, mate. Thanks so much. Thank you very much and have a safe Christmas. Well, if your taste buds aren't tingling right now, my name is not John Paul Young. Well, it's not actually. I had a small name change to distinguish myself from Johnny Young. I'll tell you about that another year. What's a hit at your place this Christmas? I'd love to know if you have any special Christmas recipes. Send an email to theshedwireless at menshed.net. Hello, I'm Sean McAuliffe here and you're listening to The Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. But you already know that, don't you? I mean, obviously, you've, you've already got this set up on Spotify. You've, you don't need me to tell you this. Take it away, John. Here's a something for you at the Menshed. Well, it's not Christmas without a bit of Christmas music. Whether you hate them or love them, you'll hear them just about everywhere you go. Mac and I decided to wander, or actually for Mac, it was a hobble because he's just undergone a knee replacement, something I know a lot of shedders would be familiar with. Anyway, let's get back to the shack for a chat about a few different takes on Christmas favourites. Well, of course, Christmas time, and you always have a bit of music at Christmas time, so it's time to... Go down to Max Music Shack, jump on those jingle bells. How's it going, mate? 
Good, thanks, man. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Uh, it wasn't with any great relish that uh, I started to put this playlist together. Uh, uh, I love Christmas, but uh, I'd rather stick needles in my eyes than watch another Carol's Night. So uh, <laughs> hopefully we've got something a bit uh, a bit different from that for you today. Uh, some some quality songs and uh, a few interesting little pieces. Absolutely, and we're going to kick it off with the absolute classic of all time. Yes. Well, it uh, it's I believe it's the biggest selling single of all time still yep. after all of these years, and uh, and there's an interesting story to it. Irving Ber- Berlin, who wrote it, the great songwriter, he was not only a great songwriter, he was a wonderful commercial businessman, and he had this idea that he wanted to write a song like Happy Birthday that was always sung and, mm. you know, it just continued on forever. Keep those royalties going forever. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so he came up with this bizarre idea for a movie. It was called Holiday Inn and uh, the idea was that the hotel only opened on holidays American holidays, the 4th of July and all of that. And his idea was he'd write a song for each of those and hope that they would become the standard that got played every year. It's it's a most ridiculous premise, but it, the movie was a huge hit. And uh, while it didn't work for all of the songs, two of them were uh, – it worked out beautifully. One was Easter Parade for Easter, which is a, a classic – and you reached the bonnet. Yes, that's right. And, of course, the other one was White Christmas and Bing Crosby was the star of the movie, got to sing the song and uh, everything went from there. Absolutely it did. Now, there's no secret that you're a big Elvis nut, so we're no, going to go and visit Elvis for a minute. Yeah, well, you can. I could always find a way to work Elvis into it. <laughs> uh, and uh, my premise for this one is that uh, Elvis made a, he made a really good Christmas album in the 50s and uh, and then la- we'll play one from that, uh, Merry Christmas Baby, which is a very bluesy Christmas song. And then the second song, uh, Blue Christmas, it's interesting because when Elvis decided that was it, I'm not going to do the movies anymore and uh, he told uh, the colonel to uh, find him something else to do, the colonel signed him up to sing an hour of Christmas carols. And uh, I've seen a telegram that Elvis sent to the colonel uh, saying, um, hi, colonel, is that the best you can do? Regards Elvis. So he was not keen on the idea. And uh, luckily, it was an Australian bloke who was producing the show, Chris Beard. And when Elvis came in to start rehearsals, he said to Elvis, you don't want to sing Christmas carols, do you? And Elvis said, no way. He said, well, let's keep it from the colonel and we'll do something completely different. And so that's what they did. And that was the famous comeback special, of course. But to uh, so that he wasn't um, completely misleading the colonel, he sang a version of Blue Christmas in the boxing ring, which... Uh, <laughs> That was his one nod to a Christmas carol. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to visit the Brill Building in New York. Yeah, well, uh, 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 Phil Spector is credited with 
an album called A Christmas Gift for You. Uh, and even though he wasn't an artist, uh, 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 the second billing is for Darlene Love, who was um, a singer that he used all of the time. Uh, if, For instance, if the Crystals were out on the road, didn't worry Phil, he'd just get Darlene Love to come in and sing it and then they'd put it out. And <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes the, the Crystals would be out on the road and they'd hear their new hit record on the radio when they'd never <laughs> heard the song before. So... Uh, but this this album, A Christmas Gift for You, if you look it up, everybody says it's the best Christmas album ever made. And uh, okay. so we've got a couple of songs from that. First off, uh, his favourite singer, Darlene Love, with the great song, Baby Please Come Home. Yeah. And then his other favourite singer, of course, the woman that he married, Ronnie, uh, from the with the Ronettes, and uh, Sleigh Ride. Fabulous. Now, it wouldn't be a Christmas, especially a summer-type Christmas that we have, yeah. without having a go at the Beach Boys. That's right. And uh, Brian Wilson, huge fan of Phil Spector. And uh, this album, he decided he was inspired by uh, Phil Spector's record and uh, he really tried to – well, he was very much influenced by the wall of sound of Spectre on this album. Yeah. And, uh, and really that's what set him off on the path of the uh, staying at home and making the records while the Beach Boys were out on the road, which eventually those sort of production techniques led to good vibrations and all of those other great... Uh, yeah. So they, Brian Wilson wrote six songs, original songs, and did uh, some other classic standards. At, uh, uh, and so I'd play uh, Merry Christmas Baby and Little Saint Nick. All right. And uh, you, I see you've tickled my fancy here because uh, I always try and work the Beatles into something. But <laughs> here, here you go with uh, you, this is something special a, a Christmas message from 1965. Yeah. Well, the, the Beatles, uh, obviously, it was suggested to them to make a Christmas album and they poo pooed that idea immediately. They weren't the slightest bit interested in doing a Christmas album. So. As a compromise, what they decided to do was each year they would record a five or six minute message to their fans, thanking their fans, just uh, uh, and with a fair bit of lunacy from John Lennon, of course, and uh, and then they'd press that onto a single and they'd send it out to their fan club members. So I've, I've as I say, I've got the Christmas message 1965. They do a a ridiculous version of yesterday and just <laughs> generally uh, uh, stuff around. But, they're, yeah. you know, it's it's more of historical interest than anything, but hey. Right. And, and, uh, and of course, that John Lennon classic, uh, yes. Happy Christmas, War is Over. What, what an amazing track. Yeah, he uh, well, he got over his aversion to Christmas songs, I guess, <laughs> yeah. with, with this, but it was all part of his campaign for... World peace with war is over, and uh, he, once again, as always, John Lennon just came up with something special. Yeah. Now, where are we going now? We are the band. Oh, one of my favourite art, uh, favourite. Um, I was going to say act. my favourite bands, but you know, I suppose my favourite act, yeah. the band. Yes. Christmas must be tonight. Yeah. Well, uh, this song, it, uh, nobody. It, it's not very well known, but it's, it's no. Most, I I can't wait to go and listen to it. Now. It's a it's a it's a most beautiful song. It's almost like a hymn. It's a, it's about the birth of Jesus, of course, and uh, well, not of course, but that's what it's about. 
and it was a bit of a it was a leftover. They uh, the the last album they released on Capitol Records was an album called Islands, which was just sort of odds and sods that they they put together to finalise their contract with Capitol so that they could keep uh, the last waltz on a much better contract that they had with Warner Brothers. And uh, like I say, it's it's largely ignored, but I, I think it's a lost classic and uh, I love the song. We're, we're going to go to New York, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, well, this uh, he Bruce Springsteen just did it. This at a concert, uh, obviously around Christmas time, and uh, it worked so well that somebody leaked it to a radio station who started playing it, and um, it's become a very, very popular track for uh, for Bruce. It is a great version of this song. Mm. You know, it uh, it brings a whole new dimension to the song. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and uh, and Paul Kelly's classic. How to Make Gravy. You know, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't quite understand what this song was all about when I first heard it, so maybe you could just give us a quick pricey of... Uh... Yeah, well, I think, to me, it's it's about the importance of family at Christmas time, and if you're, you're stuck uh, away from your family, the feelings that that evokes. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, he evokes it beautifully by having the bloke in prison. And, right. And... Uh, uh, it's a it's a song that uh, means a lot to me because I had a lot of Christmases away from my family when I was very young, and uh, uh, it, it it brings up a feeling in me every time I hear the song. Uh, I, I I played it once with you, youngie, and I had to walk away. I I started <laughs> to I started to cry, and it still does make me cry a lot. Yeah. But hey. It, what a what a beautiful thought about how important it is to be with your family at Christmas time. Fabulous. And speaking of that, Merry Christmas, Mac. Merry Christmas to you, young. Have a beauty. Old, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see each other on Christmas Day, and yes, uh, and, and uh, hopefully a... we'll be doing this again next year. Yes. All right. See you, mate. Okay. Thanks, Bye. mate. You can listen to all of Mac's playlists on the AMSA YouTube channel and I do recommend it. It's a great – he really knows how to put a a little series of music together. Simply head to YouTube and search Mac's Music Shack. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rick Woodchip. So does Rick Woodchip here. How are you all going today? Me? Not so good at the moment, Shedders. I'm laid up in bed like an invalid because I've done me back in again. Yeah, I'm laying here helpless and hopeless, feeling sorry for myself and having to be weighted on hand and foot. Well, it does have its perks. Sometimes I let my imagination run away with me capabilities, especially when I'm kicking the ball in the backyard with the grandkids. In my mind, I can still bend it like Beckham, but in reality... The only thing I bent was me back over the ball. Yeah, they say injuries are the best teachers, but I always have been a slow learner. I tend to forget how old and fragile I am at times, and these grand, I have these grand illusions that I'm 21 again and try to do things I'm just not bloody capable of anymore. Yeah, it sure does catch up with you, like they say. If I knew then what I know now, might have taken a bit more care of myself. But, like most things, fellas, I thought I was bloody invincible when I was a young'un. I treated my body like it was unbreakable and I abused the hell out of it. 
Must be just something in a man's DNA that he has to try and lift more, run further and faster, tackle harder, and work bigger days and take more risks than the other bloke. Like a mark of manhood. Who you can take the biggest pound and wins. Well, it may have impressed a few people back then, but I sure am paying for it now. If only the young rip could see the old rip now. Not so impressive. I was six foot tall and bulletproof back in the day. Superman had nothing on me, in my head anyway. And instead of working smarter, I just worked harder. And instead of taking me time and getting help I needed when I should have, I just did it myself, to the detriment of my body. And never listened to the signs that my body was trying to tell me these up. And going to the doctor, that was for wimps. But I get it from the old man, I guess. Monkey see, monkey do, you know. I used to see him take painkillers every morning just to get out of bed in his latter years. I swore I'd never get that bad. But look at me now. I just hope my young'uns are a bit smarter than me. Yeah, it can be a bugger getting old. And it can be hard coming to terms with the fact that we just ain't as young as we used to be and could easily fall into the trap of thinking that our best years are behind us. And neglecting your body can certainly catch up with you in time. I never realised that I was an old man until I started walking like one. And don't ignore the signs. Yeah, your body sure has a way of letting you know when you slow down. And if you don't listen, it'll sit you smack on your ass until you do. And when you get older and you do do yourself a mischief, it takes twice as long to recover. Like now. I tend not to worry too much about it. Getting older doesn't stop me from doing stuff, but I'll just do it a bit slower than I used to. And doing some things a little slower can actually be a benefit. You know what I mean, Shedders? <laughs> so, I take the good with the bad. I'm still capable of doing plenty. It's just now I have to give it a little more consideration and take me time doing it. Life ain't a race to the finish line, and sometimes the longest way around is the fastest way home. The point is, fellas, we get one go at this life thing and only one body to last us the full ride. And like any tool or piece of machinery, the better you look after it, the longer it'll last. And it's a bugger trying to get replacement parts. I've already got a new hip, a new knee, and some other bits and pieces. But until they can do a spine replacement, I'm just going to have to learn to ease up. But i got to tell you, fellas, it can be nice having to be waited on every now and again. Anyway, fellas, I'm going to get myself a sandwich. Hey, love, I'm hungry again. <laughs> Lunch coming right up. Okay, fellas, take it easy and see you next time. Bye, guys. Well, that's us for another season of The Shed Wireless. What an action-packed year we've had, and I'm looking forward to doing it all again in 2024. Don't forget to share your favourite podcast with your shedding mates. Give them a hand to subscribe if you can, or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash the Shed Wireless. Merry Christmas, Shedders. Until next time, folks, for the love of shedding. It don't matter if you work with wood Or fabricating metal is the thing you understood Whatever is your game, everyone's the same Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy ball In the shed it's welcome one and all Share the skills you know We're all having a go There's a helping hand